0: Hello, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, writing duo Jodie Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan join me to chat about their brand new novel, Mad Honey. Legendary singer-songwriter Macy Gray was here discussing her sold-out run at London's iconic jazz club, Ronnie Scott's, as well as not one, but two new albums, Christmas With You and The Reset. And comedy icon Brendan O'Carroll shared all the details of his very first autobiography, Call Me Mrs. Brown. Show chef Martha Russell's up delicious salad and the perfect apple pie. And we'll be putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more.
1: Well this morning as is my want on the train I watched your televisual show on the BBC and I have to say Graham Norton you had Anya Taylor-Joy on for those people that don't remember she was in the Queen's Gambit and she was fabulous but she had on sort of lace (laughs) hipster trousers (laughs) that you know when, well ladies of a certain age, you have to have your trousers up higher to stop that bit popping out over the sides she had these lace and a little bra top all in lace and she looked fabulous obviously I've ordered it from Amazon the whole outfit and (laughs) I will be wearing it next week um
0: with you know it came with a hat it came with a hat but she chose not to wear the hat
1: get out it came with a hat what do you mean her stylist (laughs) just said why don't you try this hat as well
0: no, I think it must have been Gucci. I think it was Gucci of course I could be wrong. it's
1: Gucci, of course it and, is. I ordered a knock came... off one on Amazon, obviously yeah.
0: no, and I saw it I saw after it, backstage there was a hanger with a you know a like a, a, a clothes carrier thing, and on the clothes carrier was a picture of a model wearing that outfit, so it must be kind of straight from the runway or something and but it was it had its matching a big matching hat. It was a bit like Ken Dodd's Diddy Men hat. it was like that. <laughs> Um, and uh, she yes. she went no no that that's too much I will I will uh, go on the show in in a in a very see through lace trousers and a bra but uh, I won't wear a hat no too much
1: too much <laughs> yes I don't want to offend people with my hat it sounds like the fourth no what were they called the something fathers of America the they used to wear oh, the pilgrim the pilgrim, pilgrim fathers, fathers yes. was it that sort of hat.
0: Uh, yes, I mean, it was just very, it was very, it dominated the outfit, I felt. It dominated. <laughs> she so, didn't uh, need to I be think...
1: dominated. I see no, you and also... in a hat, Graham, you know, <laughs> in your dotty dotage, I can see you in a little trilby. I was watching some footage the other day of the 1920s in London, and everybody had a hat on. It was either flat, it was very good at sort of distinguishing class because it was either flat cap or trilby, which is sort of middle ground, or bowler hat, which is the city.
0: I mean, the bottom's really fallen out of that market, hasn't it?
1: <laughs> I know, and I've got a TV programme coming out called Who Wants to Be a Milliner?
0: I haven't. I
1: haven't. I haven't. I just thought it was a very good title. That's all.
0: Virgin Radio.
1: I I have to warn you today, Graham, both of our problems are quite long. So if you'd like to pop your feet up on the table, (laughs) (laughs) don't snore. OK, here's the first one. Hi, Graham and Maria. I'm due to give birth to my first baby in a couple of weeks, but I'm really stressed about how my neighbours will react. We've lived here three years and they constantly complain about us making noise. It's an old council-owned building that has zero soundproofing. We can even hear our upstairs neighbours snoring at night. We're pretty boring people, so we never have parties or play loud music in the evening. We always go out to friends rather than have them to ours, and we've always made sure our washing machine finishes by 9pm. They bang on the roof sometimes and we recently had a complaint letter saying we slam cupboard doors, wake up their child in the evening, etc. I think part of the problem is that most of our floorboards are broken, so make a racket when you walk on them, but we rent and they'd cost too much for our landlord to fix. Really? I hate conflict and since the letter I'm anxious every evening and try to tiptoe around. We don't put our washing machine on in the evening anymore. Last week, they appeared at our door at 7.30pm, complaining we'd woken up their four-year-old. We were tidying my stepson's bedroom at times we had to stop. I'm so worried about what their reaction will be to the noise of the baby and the the baby is bound to make. And I'm not sure what to do. Do I send them an apology in advance? Do I make sure to take the baby to the back room anytime they're crying so the noise is further away from their son? Oh, your advice would be most welcome, so I'm not struggling with worrying about angry neighbours while struggling with a newborn. And that is from Katie in Edinburgh. Katie in Edinburgh, I think a lot of your anxiety here, I mean, look, it's real, but is also about having a new baby. This is going to be such an amazing and new experience to you and it sounds like your first baby, so, uh, you know... I, I think you're transferring a lot of it. First of all, let's be practical. Get in touch with your landlord and say, they, the floorboards need some attention, we're getting complaints from the neighbours below, and sometimes just a hammer and some nails. will sort it, you know, broken floorboards. Also, you know, a little rug over a floorboard might help. To elite. I mean, they sound like they're dealing with the noise. You're dealing with the noise from the snoring upstairs. You know, this is a block that hasn't been soundproofed. I mean, the second thing, let's deal with the practicalities there. They have a four-year-old, so they know what babies do. I mean, this is the t- really the only time you can get away with noise if it's a sort of natural noise. Babies... Cry. That is the bottom line. Babies cry. What are you going to do? You know, people say, can you get rid of your dog? It barks too much. You're not going to get rid of a baby. So that's going to have to happen. You're going to have to deal with that. I I mean please katie don't get yourself stressed about this because i think you're going to be so tired and exhausted with a new baby that you won't care about what they think below you above you you'll just be grateful that you know everybody's healthy and happy and you're getting some sleep sometime I don't think you can't apologise in advance for a baby. A baby is going to baby. That's the truth of the matter. And, you know, I I would try and make friends with them. Sometimes it doesn't seem as bad to hear the noise from the neighbours upstairs or downstairs. If you know them, you can just kind of think, oh, it's a big house and we're all family, that sort of thing. There's a psychological element needed here and they've clearly got themselves wound up. Graham, what do you think? Well, they've
0: also got... Katie, under their thumb. I mean, you are... It, it's like you're pretending you don't live in your own home. You know, tiptoeing around. We don't put the washing machine on the evening. You know, you can't close a kitchen cupboard. This is, this is madness. You know, so it's... One is... The, the soundproofing is a problem, but also these neighbours are being really unreasonable. You know, they want you to not be there. They, they want you to not live there, but you have to live there. And soon uh, there is going to be a new person who will not be told to be quiet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely
1: <laughs> not.
0: <laughs> yeah, they w- yeah, they won't go, oh, I re- I'd love to cry now, but the neighbours, it's nine o'clock. I'll cry at 7pm when
1: they go out. <laughs> I'll take my crying till then.
0: Uh, So I don't know what I don't know what you do, Katie. But what you've got to do is stand up for yourself a bit, really. I think you are being too apologetic and too kind of like sorry, sorry, sorry. Because at some point you've got to go. You know what? We live here, and I'm really sorry that you can hear everything that goes on in this apartment. But you know, we can hear the other neighbors. I'm sure you can hear other neighbors. You know what it's like. You know, I, I we're not deliberately trying to make noise, but there's just just being in this flat makes some noise so we're, we're going to have to jog along here I, I agree with you I don't think you want you want to kind of be friendly you don't want to be confrontational but you want to kind of appeal to their know, reason that you know, they, I mean, I know I'm sure it's really frustrating for them because their four-year-old has been woken up and they probably took ages to get them to sleep but that's going to happen because you know you live in this Block that is very, very noisy. It sounds to me um, like
1: they don't want to live there either. Um, no. You know, they probably got noise coming from down below them as well. I mean, like you've got the snoring upstairs and you've got them below. But you kind of, it's one of those things you all have to rub along. And it is better if you know somebody and you're not furious with them because if you let it get into your head, oh, there's them stomping about upstairs again, there's them putting the washing machine on, what are they doing now? Is that a cupboard door? You get obsessed with it. And They're obsessed with that and you're obsessed with worrying about it. I mean, invite them down to see the baby. Everyone loves a new baby. Try and befriend them because, as Graham says, you're not doing it on purpose. I think we've all been in situations like this with badly soundproofed properties and um, I think lots of Virgin Radio listeners will have (laughs) solutions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just so... I mean, a letter, a letter. That's too much, isn't
1: it, about cupboard door slamming?
0: It does seem excessive. And I think maybe you could at least you could you could at least contact your landlord and say, look, here's the situation. These people are going crazy because of the noise and we don't think it's our fault. Is there anything you can do to help? Yes, or
1: just get a friend or something who's got a hammer and nails to see if he can do to rectify it. Because quite often with the broken floorboard, it just needs reattaching to the joist. What am I DIY expert now, Graham?
0: i know you're so on it but here's the thing they've lived here for three years who lived there before i mean you know somebody must you know unless unless they were sort of you know in a coma they must have made some noise (laughs) the people who lived there before so i i i find problems like this so hard if you don't get on with your neighbors it's just, it, it, it just, I don't know, I, it's just the worst sort of problem. Because I just can I can never think of a, an easy resolution. It's just very, very hard. And my favourite responders will be getting a bottle of, ooh, Canty Prosecco from Waitrose. It's a dry Prosecco from Italy. It tastes of green apples and flowers, ideal as an aperitif. There you go. County Prosecco from Waitrose. Uh, now, uh, our first letter was from Katie in Edinburgh. And I I mean, the trouble with Katie's problem is everyone will sympathise with her, but I don't know what advice to give her. She is uh, about to have a new baby and she's living in this flat. No soundproofing. The neighbours are already furious with Katie. Uh, banging on the ceiling, uh, coming up at seven o'clock saying, you're making too much noise, you've woken up my our four-year-old, they can't have the washing machine on the evening, Uh, they're on tiptoes in the house. It's just a horrible, horrible situation, but we know what that's like. And Katie's now really stressed because there's going to be a crying baby in the house. So uh, she just wants help, really, to try and take some of the stress out of what sounds like a really stressful situation. Uh, Kate in Pembrokeshire says, I am so cross that poor Katie is anxious about her neighbours. They sound awful worrying about your crying baby often makes you so tense which doesn't soothe the baby at all that is true and be assertive you'll need to get into a routine with your baby and apply the same assertiveness to your neighbors be firm but fair but don't put your neighbor's interests ahead of your own you'll need to let the baby settle itself at times so get ready to breathe through it Ooh, i love that let the baby settle itself that's <laughs> that sounds so nice isn't it in reality just screaming a room full of screaming uh, lynn in the world katie this isn't a total solution to the problem but may help with the baby you can buy a sean the sheep type device which has various quiet sound modes to comfort a baby like a heartbeat and white noise my grandson had one and it helped settle him really well that's settling again uh, then his mom was happy too thanks lynn that's very practical advice um, rosie and Bev, move they are renting after all, so surely there must be another property they can rent. Get it done before the baby arrives. All very stressful. I mean, I didn't want to say that, but I always think these situations really moving is about the only you know, foolproof solution. Uh, Rodri in Cardiff I advise that Katie fronts up to the neighbours by inviting them into the flat to show them the cause of noise and ask them to suggest how she should resolve the problem hopefully by discussing and tackling the problem together they can resolve some of the conflict and frustrations wise words from Rodri in Cardiff Uh, I tell you what I'm going to give the Prosecco to I'm going to give the Prosecco to Lynn uh, in the world because it was a nice nice practical little bit of advice Uh, so good luck to Katie uh, in Edinburgh and good luck with the new baby
3: Graham's Guide
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh, that's good do you think
1: that's it would good. be better if I just sang my own jingle no <laughs> <laughs> good I like the way we have a discussion around it that's very good I'm <laughs> yeah, now going that... to read you Graham uh, I don't know if I did it in that voice I'm going to yeah, read you the next problem Oh that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 I thought so too. Okay. This is quite long, too. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I recently started dating Danny after being introduced on a blind date. We got on very well and have a lot of things in common. I was quite taken with him and felt that this was a relationship worth investing in, especially as this person was friends with my friends. However, the problem arose when we wanted to spend our first night together. I hadn't gone over before and I asked him if he had a dog. I have a real phobia of dogs since I I was attacked by dogs as a child, and I mentioned this to him. Danny, of course, has a dog. And we then agreed to spend the night at my place. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, I realised the logistical nightmare of dating someone with a dog and being afraid. I have tried things like hypnotherapy to try and deal with my phobia, but no such luck. Danny and I spoke, and I thought it was really unfair to ask him to choose. (laughs) I thought we agreed to end the relationship during that chat. A week later, I got a message from Danny to meet up. He told me that he'd managed to house his dog with his parents. I was mortified and thought it was weird to make such a big decision at this early stage in a relationship. I spoke to a couple of friends about the situation. One half of them agree with me that it's an odd thing to do, but the other half said that the gesture was romantic and that I was looking for a way out of the relationship. Danny has been calling and asking to re-establish the relationship, but I'm scared that someone who can do that so flippantly will also treat our relationship in the same way. for goodness sake. Am I overthinking this? Chris in London. Yes, Chris in London. You are overthinking it. And also... Many, in your quite long letter, there's many mixed messages. You say, this was a relationship that was worth investing in. You like him. You have the same interests. You have the same friends. It's all going well. He's got a dog. That's a problem. You've got a phobia. That's annoying. Um, <laughs> no, people are allowed to have phobias. If you're frightened of dogs, you're frightened of dogs, but it's still annoying. And so he's now housed the dog with his parents. You've got what you wish for. Careful what you wish for, because now you don't want him. He's he's rehoused the dog, and to say, has he? You know, if it's easy for him to get rid of the dog, will he so flippantly also treat our relationship in the same way? I mean, how old are you, Chris, in London, really? He's done things for you and now that's wrong too. I can only say that the dog was an excuse to get out of the relationship. So in, in a matter of four paragraphs, it's a relationship that's worth investing in. But now you don't really want to see him. I mean, you got what you wanted. He dumped the dog. Will he dump me? Yes, if he's got any sense. Graham.
0: Oh, see, Maria, I'm 59 and I agree with him. I agree with Chris. I think there's something very weird about someone who can just go... Oh, the dog's bothering you. Oh, yeah, I got rid of it. That's he hasn't weird. got
1: rid of it. He's his parents are looking after it.
0: He's rehoused the dog. He no longer lives with his own dog. We don't know how long that's he had the dog. Weird. It could have been a new dog. Okay, but even that's weird. It's just weird. I, I, I. This guy is creeping me out. I, I, yeah, that's just really strange. I mean, the the thing you could do uh, is Chris, Chris is the one, yeah. So I think what Chris could do is say to him, look, I don't think I can date you because I'm so, I feel so bad that you've had to get rid of your dog. I, I can't relax around you because I'm thinking, oh, poor dog isn't here. Um, and then see what he says. And he may just go, I never liked that dog <laughs> I know. Who knows what to yeah, say? I mean, but at least it, it, give him, give him an opportunity. Give him an opportunity to explain how he came to this really rash, big decision. I would say
1: it is quite rash, but we don't know how long he'd had the problem. Uh, the dog, I mean, not a problem, uh, and we don't know where his parents live. They could be, you know, next door but one, for all we know. I- it doesn't sound to me like Danny, who had the dog, has kind of, you know, done this, like, after one date. Things have gone, you know, just from strength to strength. You wanted to spend the night with each other. You think it was a, a relationship worth investing in. And clearly so did Danny. So if the dog was going to get in the way, then maybe, you know, it's not that he doesn't see the dog. He probably goes and takes the dog for a walk, et cetera. We're jumping to conclusions about his heartlessness here. But I think Chris, in you know, is being, slightly mimsy about it all as well dare i, I say it i don't think so
0: i think uh... i think there's something really kind of emotionally uh, in the danny guy i think there's something just uh, uh, just emotionally i don't know brutal or something about kind of like oh that doesn't suit me boom done gone problem solved on we go i just think you know that's that's strange that you can that you can turn things on and off like that because you know you 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 have dogs you couldn't just do that you couldn't just kind of go oh i've met met someone new they don't like dogs Buy dog you just couldn't do that but i so i think that it's an odd it's an odd personality trait but wouldn't you if you were keen
1: on someone graham think to yourself now uh, you know this is crazy my phobia yes i got bitten when i was a child meet the dog See if you can, you know, get on with the dog. You might like the dog. Why didn't Chris sort of meet him halfway in this one and say, let's go out for, you know, maybe not in your apartment, but let's go out for a walk together with the dog and I'll see how I get on. Because most people with phobias can get over them with a dog, with a specific dog, if not all dogs. Do you know what I mean? Why are you laughing?
0: I like our, our professional help. most people with phobias can get over them.
1: Well, you know. Frightened of spiders, you go and have spiders crawl over your head, and then you're not frightened no, you of spiders don't. anymore. You know, you just avoid you get spiders. Over, that's how you get over phobias, is you, you know, face your fear and so on, isn't it? And also, it's a dog. We don't, you know, is it a scary dog? Probably not. He could have made some effort with the dog. So that Daddy I love
0: you're blaming you you're again this guy because he's got a phobia of dogs. Yes. I think you're allowed to be scared of I mean, I'm with you. I you know, because if you're with someone who's afraid of dogs and you're not, it does look irrational and strange. Uh, but I, you know, but also it's very real. If people are scared of dogs, they yes. you see you see the terror in their face, even when it's a tiny little fluffy dog. They're just you know, my mom has got a phobia of cats. It doesn't matter how lovely the cat is, you know, it she will scream and run away. Um, so I, it's it it you know, the fear is real. I and and yes, that's a bigger discussion about the phobia. Yeah, but I think right I mean, now I'm not I'm
1: not dissing people with phobias. Let me just put that straight now. If you have a phobia about anything, of course course it's real but if you really like danny who you uh, w- think it's worth investing in this relationship then i would have made some effort myself he says he's tried hypnotherapy to try to deal with his phobia but no such luck
0: what you and you don't you don't believe him
1: oh, no 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 i do <laughs> but i think it would have been better to have tried walking with the dog on a lead So that he can, you know, because we're not going to cure him of his fear of all dogs. We might cure him of the fear of this particular dog because it has a very hot man attached to it.
0: Yeah, but not not hot enough for this behaviour. I think I'm 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 over Danny. I'm over Danny. I'm over both of them, to be honest with you. Our second letter was from Chris in London. This is an odd one. So he meets a guy called Danny. Uh, They're dating. All going really well. But then uh, Danny has a dog. Okay, Danny's a dog. And Chris has a terrible phobia of dogs. He's attacked as a kid. He's tried to get over it. He can't. Um, And so they were trying to date, but it was just, you know, the logistics of dating someone with a dog was just too difficult. Uh, Then, so they have a long conversation, break up, that's fine. Then Danny gets in touch, goes, great news, I've rehomed my dog. Uh, Let's pick up where we left off. And Chris is thinking, okay, that's weird that you can just give up your dog like that on a whim. And now he's sort of nervous of going out with him again. Uh, Is he being unreasonable? Carolyn Long Eaton says, Chris, it sounds as though you were slash are not really invested in this relationship. Danny has made a big sacrifice in asking his parents to care for his dog. The problem is you, not him. Really? Uh, Do the decent thing. Tell Danny you don't want to take this any further and give him the chance to find someone that will love him and his dog. All right. Richards and Brixton, I think it's a big assumption that getting rid of the dog is just about the new relationship. It screams lockdown dog that maybe wasn't working out anyway. Well, that's true. And this is the final prompt needed to sort out a new arrangement that works for him and the dog. That seems the nice humane thing to do. So I don't think Chris should make such an assumption about this poor guy's entire personality. Give him a chance, see what guys well certainly have a conversation with him. Have a conversation. A dog is for life part of the family. Why would you trust someone with your heart if they can give away a dog so easily? Stay away from him kate in platt feels very strongly about this she really does uh, i totally agree with graham oh i'm loving sarah and grassington uh i leave that man now anyone who can rehome their dog obviously is bonkers i love our dog so much and just could never rehome him it's that old saying love multiplies never divides it's not a great saying uh warning sounds are going off for me hearing about this chap my advice is run and change your phone number he sounds like a nutter uh, you know what, I, I would like to give you the Prosecco But I think I should be reasonable And I'm going to give the Prosecco to Richard In Brixton for being the voice of reason The Graham Norton
3: Radio Show With Waitrose Food to feel good about
0: Virgin Radio uh, We've met Jodie Pico many times Best-selling author uh, Jennifer Finney Boylan, also a best-selling author With a mixture of fiction and memoir Welcome to both of you
4: Thanks for having us Hi Graham
0: Uh, lovely to have you now here's the thing Uh, Jodie Pico I've interviewed you a number of times and you seem like one of those writers that you enjoy the writing but you also enjoy this bit you enjoy the the selling the book what's it like what's it like sharing that platform now with Jennifer
4: Oh, it's so nice. Isn't it nice to just have someone on the journey with you, right? I mean, we had a blast writing this book together. Uh, Jenny is absolutely the right person to work on this story with me. Uh, I think we both brought really unique things to it about what it means to be a woman. And um, because of that, I think we created something that's really never been done before. And having her along on, you know, a 30-day uh, book tour in America post-COVID is a joy. You know, first of all, to be on the road again in front of human beings, woo! Um, you <laughs> right, know, and, exactly. And we're so psyched to be back here in the UK and meeting our fans here. We just can't wait. Well, and being, you know, this is Jenny, being
3: a, a writer on tour is, it can be a very lonely thing, but we're not lonely this time because we really have each other, just like we had each other when we were writing the book,
0: okay. Let's we'll, we'll talk about the uh, get into the book in a moment. But uh, Jenny, I, am I calling you Jenny? Rather you than are. You are indeed. Okay. Okay. I, <laughs> I picked up on that. I picked up on Jenny. There was a lot of mention of Jenny. Uh, so Jenny, uh, I, th- I love this story. Uh, tell us how you sort of manifested this book.
3: Well, it's it's really cool because this book came out of a dream. I was in New York City. It was about five years ago, in fact, and I woke up from a dream in which I'd been co-authoring a book with Jody Picot, who, at least then, I had never met and did not know. And I got up and I thought, well that was very specific because it was the dream was about two voices in, in conversation um a young woman who'd been murdered and the mother of uh her boyfriend who had been accused of the crime and that was the dream and i woke up and i thought that was very specific you know because usually my dreams are like uh, finding fighting a giant squid at the airport or something <laughs> anyway I, I went on twitter i tweeted out i just dreamed i was co-authoring a book with Jody Picot, who happened to be, in fact, online at that moment, saw the tweet, sent me a DM that said, what was this book about? And I told her what I just told you. And she said, cue Jody, LOL, let's do it. LOL, let's do it. <laughs> literally. And so we, we, we talked about it a little bit, and uh, we waited until the time was right, and then we did it. And because of, of that dream, Jodi Picot, who I did not know, became uh, my collaborator and my friend. And had either of you collaborated on a book before?
4: I had. I actually uh, wrote two young adult novels with my daughter um, when we started when she was 13, finished when she was 16, and then wrote a sequel when she was at university. Uh, the difference, of course, between writing with my daughter and writing with Jenny is that I couldn't tell Jenny to go to her room.
3: Actually, you did. You did, <laughs> you did tell me to go to my room. <laughs> Um, okay. Look, look. You, you talked about these two
0: voices, and, and it's, it's broken down into these two women's voices. So let's start with Olivia, which I think, Jody, you were kind of mostly responsible for Olivia.
4: That is correct. Yeah. So the the basic nutshell of the story is that. Um, It's about a woman named Olivia McAfee who years ago was in an abusive marriage, took her son, and fled to start over. And when the book opens, years have passed. She's now a beekeeper. Her son is uh, Asher. He is 18, and he is madly in love with the new girl in school whose name is Lily. Um, And then one day, Olivia gets a phone call from Asher saying that Lily is dead and Asher is being questioned by the police. And Olivia begins to wonder whether the past ever stays in the past or if it keeps coming back to haunt you and you know this is a book about that it's about uh how the past informs who we are now it's about identity it's about gender it's about all of those things and it's also a rollicking good courtroom drama and mystery so uh it's all packaged into one one special little you know one 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 special beehive
0: (laughs) i I would expect nothing less Uh, so uh, jenny tell us about lily
4: Lily
3: is uh, a senior in high school um, on the day when she is murdered, and she is just... Oh, it, I mean, it makes me so sad because we 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 learn, in fact, that she dies at the end of the very first chapter. So that's that's no spoiler. But Lily's chapters then go backwards in time, and uh, just as Olivia's chapters go forward through the trial, through um, all of the all the unraveling of the mystery that follows. But we do learn about Lily, who is full of beans. She is uh, she's a bit of a nerd. She plays the cello. She is on the fencing team at school. But she's just thirsty to learn about life she is like a sponge and it was great fun if 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 more than a little sad to hang out with her and the the, the cool thing is that you think oh, oh no at the end of chapter 1 she i just fell in love with this character and now she's gone but then you get to the next Lily chapter, and it's a week before the murder. And then the next one is two weeks before. And as you go back in time, you learn more and more about her and what makes her tick. And some of the sorrows that she that she bears. And you learn that the joy that she has is joy that comes... Uh, it's the kind of joy that comes when you've won it for yourself, when you fought very hard to be who you are. And um, she has that kind of grace and glory and just... Happiness in her life.
0: I mean, here's the, you, but if you want a deep dive, you're doing events up and down the land. Is
3: this true?
4: That is true. We are all over, all over the UK, actually, over the next okay. ten days. And if yeah. they go
3: to from, if they go what to is your it from website, Cornwall to
4: Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> if you you can go to my website, um, it's Jodiepico.com and all the events are listed there.
0: And and we were talking about those two voices in the book, uh, Olivia and Lily, and while the voices are distinct, what really struck me is that the writing style is so consistent. Like, it's hard to imagine that two people wrote this book. Were you self-policing? Did you kind of police each other in that regard? Yeah. Or did a kind of third-party editor come in and smooth it all out?
4: No, it was really important to me when we started this, that the book feel like a unified voice, even though we were each writing different narratives. And it's also worth saying that Jenny and I each traded One chapter of the other's character So I wrote one Lily chapter and Jenny Wrote one Olivia chapter and we did that In part because we thought it would be smart to Inhabit each other's voices for a moment But also because we wanted to give our readers A fun little puzzle you know go figure Out which which chapters we swapped Which one is Joey imitating
3: me and (laughs) vice versa
4: But what we really wanted to do Was to make sure that when you read it it felt like A unified mind and the way that We did that was um, We heavily edited each other's Chapters so I would send an Olivia a chapter off to Jenny and she would edit her way through it and, and make comments and changes and I would do the same thing with the Lily chapters to the point where honestly when I read the book now it is very hard for me to remember which turn of phrase was mine and which one was Jenny's
3: actually there's, there's one chapter I was reading I was reading one of the, one of the Lily chapters you know because I thought those were the good ones um, last week <laughs> and I was thinking boy this is just so good and then I realized you know what that was the chapter Jody wrote <laughs> And But Jenny, you haven't collaborated before. I mean, you know,
0: so if, I guess Jodie's right. It's, it's different doing it with your daughter. But what was it like getting kind of notes from someone you're working with? It Is was, that a kind it, of weird dial down your ego moment?
3: Well, uh, Usually I dial my ego up, actually. <laughs> I think we each, we each had to answer to the other. I mean, we, we kept raising the stakes and Jody would send me one and I would say, OK, mine's got to be just as good. And we also, Graham, we did this during COVID also. We were each kind of locked down in our houses. So it was literally like the only thing going on in our lives. And I think we really were... just kind of obsessed with making it work because it was like the one good thing that was going on at the time.
4: And I I think it's really important too to point out that I think there's this weird belief that if a book has two authors, it must not be as good. That to me is ludicrous, especially in this case, because I had been such a fan of Jenny's writing for so long that she would send me a chapter and and my first instinct was, oh my gosh, I gotta do something just as good now. You know, so if anything, I think we brought out the best in each other as writers. Yeah, Um, I'm a lot to
3: live up to, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> but yeah, because of that, I think it's, it, it actually raised the bar for both of us, yeah. which is really kind of a nice thing.
0: And obviously it's not out in the UK yet, but it, it's been out in America. So how have both of your fans, not both of, you know, it's like, not even two fans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, maybe. How I have don't both know. of your
0: fans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, did they both like it? Um, yeah. Both sets of fans. Yeah. Both that, sets I, of fans. How, are they, how are they reacting to it?
4: I have to say that the, um, what's really nice is a lot of my fans are reading Jenny for the first time and they're all writing to say, oh my gosh, I have a new author now. I'm going back and I'm reading everything you ever wrote. And I certainly hope that's true. Jenny's fans too. Yeah, and, if They don't and, know me, and without spilling too
3: many beans, there, there is a I'm, I'm a transgender woman, and there is a trans element in the story, uh, which uh, comes as a as a surprise at some point in the book, uh, and so I think what and hap- what, what I'm hoping is that some of Jody's authors uh, readers. Uh, Who may be encountering this issue for the first time and who think that they know about this issue and who think that they have an informed opinion are suddenly finding, oh, in fact, here's um, a character that I already know, a character that I already love. And it turns out that without even knowing it, I have opened my heart to someone who I might have dismissed or um, not been open to before oh. this time it's one of the great things that I think stories can do that fiction can do It oh. can open your no, heart so and change you. your yeah. mind yeah,
4: yeah. A- and we know it's, 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 it's happening power, it? yeah. it's happening that way We're I'm getting hundreds of emails from people now who at, in America have already read the book and that is exactly what, what my readers are saying that this educated them this opened up their minds and their hearts and it really made them think about things in a way they'd never thought before which honestly is exactly why we write novels
0: and very quickly before we go i have just got uh, Jodie pico musicals you're yeah. now queen of musicals <laughs> what is it <laughs> well two thank you you can do now
4: <laughs> i have yeah um actually three uh, if you count one i did during covid but yeah we we actually in the uk um i i came home from opening um, the, an adaptation of Marcus Sussex's beautiful book The Book Thief which I was co-librettist for uh, we opened in Bolton outside of Manchester to rave reviews and to um, sold out houses and uh, it is fingers crossed looking quite likely that we will be transferring uh, to a larger regional or a couple or of those uh, next fall and then we hope to go into the West End with it so hopefully oh, all minutes. of the UK will get to We're all
3: actually all looking forward to the Mad Honey musical. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't Actually, started that.
3: <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Jenny, I just got—I haven't read this, but it sounds gorgeous. Uh, your memoir, "Good Boy: My mm-hmm. Life in Seven Dogs," that sounds such a great idea.
3: Yeah, well, it's a um, so these were the seven dogs that I had before transition, and so in some ways it's a memory of dogs, but it's also a memory of masculinity. And uh, you know, there is the dog of boyhood, there is the dog of being a, a hippie teenager, and one of being a boyfriend and a husband and a father. And in a way, it's it's a way of talking about dogs and the love that they bring us, but it's also about remembering uh, an earlier part of my life and being able to, I guess, through the love of dogs and humans finding a connection both with who I was and with who I've become.
0: Uh, great to talk to you both today uh, Jodie Pico and Jennifer Finney-Borlin The book is called Mad Honey, it's out on Tuesday And those events, you can find full details At jodiepico.com uh, Take care, thank you so much for coming to see us Thanks Graham.
4: Thanks Graham, always a pleasure <laughs> Bye bye
0: The Graham Norton Radio Show With Waitrose, food to feel good about Virgin Radio uh, Macy Gray, hello Macy Hello, hi Oh hello, hi, how are you? Hey, I'm good, how are you? i'm a great all the better for talking to you uh so tell me this so uh you've been doing the the shows at ronnie scott's all week uh how have they been going
5: amazing amazing sold out crazy uh crowd we've been having a lot of fun singing and screaming and dancing you know it's a, it's a proper place to party and, and go hear great music you know
0: No, and Ronnie Scott, it strikes me, that's a really intimate room for you because, you know, you must be used to playing, you know, big arenas and things. So is it nice to come back to have a kind of where you can look people in the eye when you're singing?
5: Yeah, I've I've that's the thing. I've done a uh, you know small venues, 150 seats. I've done 10,000 seats. I've done Wembley, you know. So I can pretty much play, you know. If you give me one person, I I can I can do a show for one person too, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, it's very intimate and and uh, everybody's sitting right there staring at you, you know. But I'm at the point in my career where I just know what I'm doing, you know. So it's cool either way. <laughs>
0: And Macy, talk to me about the the California California Jet Club, the band you have. Like, are they? I mean, obviously they're a real band; they exist. But are, yeah. is it one of those? Is, is it? Is it like? Is it a just who? You know, do different people join at different times, or is it like a fixed a fixed uh, membership of the, the the band?
5: Well, right now the the, the 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 main members are Alex Kine, he plays the bass, and Billy West. Um, we wrote the album with. Um, our old drummer, his name was Tommy Barzaai, but he uh is doing his own thing now, so we we wanna build it into this kind of this membership thing where you have to you know be a certain level of a player and you have to do initiation, you know and you have to do my laundry for a month, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but we no, would just having the- fun,
0: yeah. Could, and you wrote with them for the. You mentioned the album that came out earlier this year. That's The Reset.
5: No, The Reset comes out Valentine's Day 2023. Oh, I saw February and I thought it was this
0: year it came out. Oh right, that comes out next year. Yeah, Valentine's okay. Day, twenty twenty
5: three. It's a great album. It's, it's one of the best albums I ever heard. And and I would say that even if it wasn't my album, you know. It's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it is your album. It is, it my is album. your album. I know. Uh, but we wrote it during Covid, you know, and it was that to me that was the upside of, of the whole pandemic thing because um because every, everybody was so emotional and, and into their feelings and, you know, learning about themselves and stuff. And so it was a perfect time to create, you know, if you happen to be an artist, you had all this inspiration and everybody was emoting, you know, and so it was a perfect time to go in the studio and make a record. And, and so it, um, it came out really great.
0: And it, it coming out on Valentine's Day, is it, is it romantic? Is it sexy? Is it all of the above?
5: Yeah, it's all those things, you know. It's it's about life. It's uh, uh, it's about how we were all feeling at the time. But but it's not, um, when I say that to people, they assume, oh, it's political and, oh, it's preachy. But it, it's the opposite of that because while all the world was going on, you know, we were all at home um, having to reset, you know, and readjust and, and learn how to do our lives uh, differently, you know with what was going on and so it was a very personal time and and, um, so I think we we wrote a record that that you know the idea was to have it come out right away but obviously that didn't happen but the crazy thing is it's still uh very relevant all the things that that are going on in, in the, on the record yeah yeah
0: uh, now you've got two more nights uh, two more shows tonight at Ronnie Scott's but they're sold out so don't try and, and get tickets <laughs> uh, sorry sorry about that as a promotional opportunity this isn't great <laughs> since all the tickets are gone uh, No, let's talk about Christmas I know this is like I don't know why I'm surprised that Basic Grace put out a Christmas album but I am <laughs> so how how did, this idea, how did this
5: idea come about? Same, we're just like, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, with the whole pandemic thing and, and, and everything kind of stopped. So, the you, know, the you know, the natural thing to do was go in the studio, make a bunch of records. <laughs> so we made a Christmas record. And um, it came out great, though. I'm so proud of it. It's, you got to hear it. It's amazing
0: and it's out next Friday it's out on the 18th yes um, and uh, tell me so there's a, I think there's one original and then it's the rest are our covers is that right
5: yes yes I'll, I'll, there's seven I think there's seven seven songs maybe seven or eight I forget
0: I think it's eight I think it's eight eight okay. um, and so how do you, are these literally your favourite Christmas songs or do, you know did you and the rest of the band kind of you know argue it out what was going to make it
5: Oh, it was all, you know, 2022, it was on, it was on group text. Everything happens on <laughs> on group text now. <laughs> like, hey, texting, hey guys, what songs do you want to do? And then they all wrote back. And then that, those and are the ones we ended up doing.
0: And you were recording in L.A., which always seems like the least Christmassy place on earth.
5: Oh my God, exactly. I know. I know, but I live <laughs> there and I know all the studios. I'm too comfortable. I need to get out of my comfort zone move to London and, and make a real record.
0: And, well, listen, we've got Christmas here. We've got Christmas covered. I uh, know. <laughs> what, Ma- what does a Macy Gray Christmas look like? Is it is it, you know, uh, is it a rock and roll Christmas or is it a very traditional Christmas? What is it?
5: So we always go out and me and my kids, we always go pick a tree. They have, like, all these big uh, tree fields. What do you call them? I don't know. Tree farms?
0: Forest? forest
5: a forest. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did not go to the forest. But they have all these tree farms that move into L.A. around Christmas, and we always go out. And you got to go early, because if you go later, you get all the sappy trees, you know, all the ones that are almost dead and stuff. So yeah, we go you know early, right after Thanksgiving usually, and then um, and we get a tree. And then, yeah, we've had the same decorations for like... <laughs> For like 20 years Because those Those never really Go out of style I mean an ornament Is an ornament What are you going to do
0: Yeah No exactly And Christmas is Christmas Uh, Macy Gray uh, We're going to play a track This is This is a kind of A teaser track The album comes out Properly next uh, Friday But you can get This one now This is Blue Christmas Anything you want to Tell us about Blue Christmas Before uh, I play it
5: well this was uh my bass player's idea alex's idea because I, I i actually uh have probably heard it a million times but i never paid it much attention until he put it into the group text <laughs> and then um yeah and then we went in the studio and and i uh, just knocked it out i think this was the fastest song i've ever done but it's amazing it's, it's probably my favorite one on, on the record
0: Oh, fabulous. listen, enjoy your last two shows at Ronnie Scott's tonight, um, and good luck with the album uh, when it comes out uh, next Friday, Uh, and good luck with the reset when it comes out in February. You've so much product, Macy Gray. You're on fire. Still to come, we get our thinking caps on in another round of Guest to Guest, and Brendan O'Carroll joins me to chat through his first autobiography, Call Me Mrs Brown. But first, hello, Martha.
2: Hiya, how are you?
0: I'm a very, very well now. Uh, we'll get obviously, obviously you've you've cooked for us, and we'll get to the recipe. But uh, you've got exciting news uh, about a Martha class uh, tell all.
2: Yes. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited about this. So next weekend, I believe on the Saturday, we yeah, are doing Saturday, yeah. <laughs> we are doing a stir up Sunday special, but the day before, so you know everyone can get prepared, um, where we're going to be making Christmas puddings at the top of the tower with a beautiful view of London and I'm going to be teaching you how to do it. There's four spaces, so we would absolutely love for people to come along, have a nice little day out, take home your own Christmas pudding, a little bit of festive cheer.
0: But now it's not just random. You don't just rock up and form an orderly queue. No. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not, it's not it's not as as open as the invitation is. It's not that open. So how can people put themselves in a position where they might be selected to be one of the four?
2: So, I believe it will all be in the Virgin Media social media, Virgin Radio, social media today. <laughs> and there is a website which is Somewhere. Virgin Sorry. Radio. <laughs> ver- no, you're,
0: you're good. I've got it. It's virginradio.co.uk slash win. So it's virginradio.co.uk slash win. And what you do there is you register. You register and then randomly four people will be selected. Uh, we will pick up the tab for travel. Um, sadly, we can't stretch to hotels. So uh, it, it might be an early start for some if you, you know, <laughs> you're selected and you live in the Shetland Islands or something. So uh, we'll, do
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll do tea and yeah. coffee. We'll do tea and coffee. We'll for
0: get, sure, we'll get you. We'll get you to the studio. Uh, I might, I might wander out of the studio and go and say hello to the people uh, stirring their Christmas puddings, and and you provide all the ingredients and all of that. Is that must be correct, truly?
2: Oh, absolutely. You get the ingredients, you get everything you need to make it, and I'll do a little demonstration and get to have a little taste, taste as well.
0: Oh, lovely! And I love. Have you used the phrase Martha class before? No, I haven't,
2: good. but. I don't know why yeah. I haven't been, because it, it fits perfectly.
0: <laughs> no, no, you need to bre- you need to register that now before somebody <laughs> nicks it. <laughs> uh, yeah, a cooking a cooking Martha class. You could tour the country with that. And we'll have a little photo opportunity. It'll be a fun day out, I think, you know. And also, be, uh, yes, it's lovely. You'll be at Virgin Radio and there's Martha and me and there's cooking. But we can't stress enough how gorgeous it is at the top of the tower. Like the most spectacular and unseen view of London there is. So uh, it's definitely worth rocking up. Oh, for sure.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Especially if it's like the day like today where the sun is shining and it just looks misty and beautiful. That would be a good day oh. to be making a Christmas pudding. Maybe we'll play some yeah, Christmas tunes as well. Not and on the radio, cut, cut next, for the people. come
0: <laughs> to next week. The top of the tower is in a cloud. <laughs> and yeah. normally you can That'd see Tower Bridge. Yeah, normally that's St. Paul's. <laughs> that you uh I, 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 I you know let's well actually it is, it's a warm winter green salad so that's good warm winter green salad with tahini dressing this it, it's not hard is it this must be simple
2: no it's a, it's a little bit harder than just your regular salad because obviously oh. you've got to make oh. it you've got to make it warm <laughs>
0: uh, uh oh. but such
2: a good okay. recipe for this time of year because i was thinking it's very easy just to eat stodge for the whole of november and the whole of december <laughs> and not to eat a single fresh vegetable so you need a recipe like this just to you know break it up like last week i made you toad in the hole and sticky toffee pudding so i had I to do something it seemed fresh
0: ideal it seemed <laughs> ideal yeah. potatoes are vegetable potatoes are vegetable uh, okay off off you go, what, what what are our ingredients, what do we do with them?
2: So it's a lovely mixture of different vegetables, as you might expect, they're all green ones and honestly the water that you boil this in turns this shade of luminous green because there's so many, so much goodness in there, um, but we're going to start by taking some tender stem broccoli and or you can find the purple sprouting kind in Waitrose, which just adds a lot of extra colourful interest, and um, we've also got some green beans and some rainbow chard, so you're getting all those different colourful, different textures of vegetable. We are going to kind of blend... Blanch them in a big, big pan of boiling water, and you want to make sure you put a little bit of salt in that water so that it adds a bit of flavour to the vegetables. You don't want them to be bland. And what you've got to be really careful of is the timing because nobody likes a soggy bro- broccoli florette, nobody likes no. a, a mushy bowl. Of warm salad. So three minutes, that's all they need. So you set your timer. If Even if you think, oh, I don't need to set a timer, you must. You must set a timer for three minutes for each of these things. The broccoli goes in first, then comes out into a colander. Then your beans go in, out into a colander. Then your chard goes in, and then out into the colander. <laughs> and okay, then I get it. Yeah. So your vegetables yeah. are warm. And then we're going to make a little um, kind of sesame oily dressing by frying off some sesame seeds with some garlic, some olive oil, a leek, and the stems of the rainbow chard so the leaves get blanched the stems get all chopped up and fried because so they're, they're a little bit um they need a bit more cooking and then we're making a very simple tahini sauce to go with it that you can either serve on the side as a nice little dip or you can drizzle over the top. And this is tahini, which is sesame seed paste. You can get this in the cook's ingredients section of Waitrose with some cold water and some lemon juice. Mix it all together. It's got such a lovely kind of warm, nutty flavour. And then once all of your salad components are ready, you chuck all of those blanched vegetables into the garlicky pan so that they can be warmed up again. And then arrange it all on a big platter, drizzle it with that tahini dressing, And it's good to go. The people who wrote the recipe are um, the people behind the restaurant Honey & Co. written loads of great kind of Middle Eastern cookery books. And they say that they eat less veg in the winter because of the reasons I said at the beginning. So this is one of their go-to midweek recipes. Um, No,
0: it sounds delicious, actually. Tahini is such a great ingredient. It just cheers everything up. It's gorgeous. Um, And that recipe, uh, you can find it at the Waitrose Weekend newspaper. Is that right?
2: Yep, absolutely. It's in this week's newspaper and it is on the website and Virgin Radio. Slash so show chef we got it oh yeah
0: yeah slash show chef it's hard to say that show chef I
2: know you say That's, it every week and I've just tried I, it was this one time and I can't get it out my mouth
0: in fairness I don't say it very much Martha <laughs> show chef show chef uh, and also you can find uh, all of Martha's recipes at uh, our hub waitrose slash show chef as you said and at our socials UK and let's just remind people uh, next Saturday. Four people are going to get the chance of a Martha class with Martha at the top of the tower. You will get to say hello to me, maybe Maria and Martha. You'll get pictures. You'll see the view. You'll stir your Christmas pudding and you'll get to take it away with you. All you've got to do is go to virginradio.co.uk slash win to register. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not going to bother because I'll never win that. Someone's going to do it. Someone's going to win it. So, you know. Register, I'd would. I would urge them to register. And uh, and look, you, you know Martha, you've heard her on the radio, she's lovely. She won't bite, she won't shout at you because you're doing it wrong. I'll be kind, um, I promise. I hope. I hope. It'd be terrible if terrible if the Martha I know turns into a monster when you're in the kitchen.
2: I won't. I'll be even Our lovelier.
0: Four Virgin listeners sobbing in a corridor. <laughs> she was doing it wrong. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Mm-hmm. Here she is now, boys. Uh, so, how are you today, Martha? Hello. You bit stressed.
2: I, I am all right, thank you. Had a, a broken down train <laughs> situation. But fortunately, I'd made your apple pie yesterday evening. So, it For was you. here in one piece. I didn't have to race through the prep <laughs> in the kitchen.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't want raw pie. Hi. Uh, uh, I was thinking earlier, when did we send you to people's houses to do the barbecue? Was that this year?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was this summer. I had a lovely okay. time, to be fair.
0: Well, now, now, Martha's not on the road because other people are going to come to you. Is that not correct?
2: I believe so. I've gotten a bit more diva in my demands. <laughs> they must come <laughs> to me.
0: <laughs> well, but- no, you're having, next Saturday, you are having a Martha class where it, it's basically Christmas pudding Martha class.
2: Yes, I am so excited about this. It's Stir Up Sunday, next Sunday, so we are doing a Stir Up Christmas Pudding Martha class on this Saturday um, for four people, I believe, to come to the top of the tower. We're going to be having little Christmasy Christmas pudding to eat. I'm going to show you how to make it, how to do all the hard stuff, like make the little hat that has to go on it as it steams, give you all the top tips, um, and then you'll go away with your own Christmas pudding to prepare that you can have on Christmas Day.
0: And we'll have some photos, and you'll get to see the beautiful view from the top of the tower. And by the way, although four people get to do the stirring and everything, uh, the four people we select will be, a, you'll be able to travel with someone. It's not like, you know, just all everyone flying solo. And kind of <laughs> it's, it's a bit sad, and you have to go home and tell people what happened. Uh, you, you can bring a friend or a partner <laughs> or just whoever you want to. You can bring someone with you. So it, it's four people. We get to travel with someone. And we cover the travel expenses. And if you want to enter, you go to virginradio.co.uk slash win, okay? And you just register there. That's all you do. And then uh, four people will be randomly selected and uh, we'll see you at the top of the tower next si- Saturday. It's exciting. I mean, it's a nice, you know, there's, it's a low risk thing to enter this competition because uh, there's no no chance of humiliation. It's all good. <laughs> all
2: good. Yeah, it's not going to be, I'm not going to go all MasterChef on everybody.
0: <laughs> when do you have to, When do I, I, maybe you don't know this either, Martha, uh, when do you have to register by? Is there a cut-off point? Uh,
2: you I don't actually, know, do you? I do not know the answer to that question. I'm a assuming Wednesday just... Morning.
0: P- just oh, they
2: Wednesday morning. They just shouted
0: in my ear, Wednesday morning. <laughs> Wednesday morning. So, get, get, so register before Wednesday morning. You See, we do know what's going on. Uh, now, let's move on to the dip deep dish, dip, dip the deep dish apple pie. Uh, so what's the advantage of a deep dish apple pie over your regular apple pie?
2: Oh, it just means you get more filling. And that's always a good okay. thing.
0: And is this one of those pies where it's kind of slicey apple inside rather than apple mush?
2: yes, little little apple wedges inside it's apple season now. If you've ever had an apple tree in your garden or if the listeners have got apple trees in their gardens they're they're dropping and you need recipes to to use them up. So a deep dish pie is great because you can stick at least four in there. (laughs) Uh,
0: So uh, what do we do? Do we start with pastry? Do we start with the apple filling? Uh, Talk us through it.
2: Absolutely. So we start with the pastry. Um, Now pie pastry, the Americans do pies really well. They, especially this time of year, Thanksgiving, they know how to make the perfect pie crust, which is a little bit flaky, but not like puff pastry. Whereas in the UK, we don't really have a a kind of alternative that you can purchase in the shop. You can either have short crust, or you can have puff. So for this recipe, you want to buy yourself a block of short crust or make shortcrust pastry, and we're going to turn it into flaky pastry.
0: Okay.
2: So to turn it into flaky pastry, you take a little bit of cold butter, chop it up really, really small into cubes, roll out your shortcrust pastry into a rectangle and put it over half and then sandwich it in. So fold it over and this is going to create like little layers like like you're making your own puff pastry but it's not going to be as regular because you don't want if you'd used regular puff pastry for this recipe it would be so kind of out of control and puffy that it, would, it wouldn't it stick to the apples. So you fold it over a couple of times and you get this lovely self-made laminated pastry that will flake apart perfectly in your pie. So once you made that that goes into the fridge to, seth, to rest even for a while about half an hour. Okay. Oh, get on? only half an hour okay yeah not, not yep. too long it can go in for the rest of the day if you really want but you know half an hour minimum, Um, and then we're going to make the apple filling. So you want to take four cooking apples, those ones that are really tart, that if you accidentally take them in your packed lunch, you're going to be really disappointed. (laughs) So keep them separate in your fruit bowl. So you want four of these huge cooking apples. We're going to peel them, core them, and then slice them into kind of thin wedges. We don't want them to be too mushy, we want them to retain a bit of texture. Then we're going to toss them with some golden, golden caster sugar, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of nutmeg, corn flour, and lemon juice. And then let that sit for five minutes. And this is really important because the corn flour will draw out a little bit of the moisture from the apples. Because you don't want that pastry to end up soggy. We don't want that dreaded soggy bottom in our pie. (laughs) So then we're going to preheat the oven. You just want to line your tin with the pastry. Leave a third off to make your little pastry top. You're going to put that apple filling in there and drain off some of that liquid. So you don't want to pour it all in. Keep a couple of tablespoons back. Put the rest into the pie. Put that lid on the top and then you can decorate it however you want. You can make a little little design, you can write someone's name. You can put, I've put little hearts on the one today. Um, and then you brush it with an egg and it bakes for an hour and it comes out. And this is really good hot and cold. You can have it with custard, with ice cream, double cream, just on with anything. It's a nice treat.
0: Oh, you have sold that. If you want the recipe, you could go to waitrose.com slash showchef and you can see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check it out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, Martha, have a lovely week and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, stirring with strangers on Saturday. <laughs> yes, Take I care. look forward
2: to it too. See you then.
0: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Uh, he is the man behind the award-winning YouTube hugely popular, unstoppable Mrs. Brown. He now brings us a memoir called Call Me Mrs. Brown. His name is Brendan O'Carroll. Hello, Brendan. How are you?
6: Good morning, Graham. How are you this morning? I'm
0: very well, thank you very much. Well, I say very well. Well, I am very well because I was gushing to the listeners earlier. This memoir, Brendan, congratulations. It is so good. It really is phenomenal. Uh, Congratulations. It's just great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you you so
6: much. You really are. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Um, I have broken my you've broken my record for the fastest I've cried reading a book. I'm, I'm about, like, two sentences in, and I was weeping. Uh, it's, yeah, beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, all right, your life. Let's, oh, right, there's so much to talk about. Well, let's start with, with the obvious, your mother. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> your mother was a, a nun. She was originally a nun. Uh, take yes. it away, Brendan O'Carroll.
6: Well, she was originally a nun, and... Um, and she decided to renounce her vows and went on to have eleven children. So she obviously wasn't meant to be a nun. <laughs> <laughs> she was on a weekend uh, pass from the from the seminary home, and met my dad who could dance. She loved to dance. My mum just absolutely loved to dance, and she met my dad, and he turned out to be a great dancer. and And they they got married. the The, the incredible thing about um, them marrying is that. If you go back, um, say eighteen years from that, from when they got married, um, my my granddad was shot um, during the during the troubles in in, in the nineteen twenties. He was shot and left for dead, and uh, what he was dead. And my dad was shot. He was only nine, and he was shot. And it was a journalist that was coming home that found my granddad and my dad uh, lying half in half out the door. Nobody would come out of their houses because there was a, a curfew on at the time. But the journalist had a, had a nighttime pass. So he felt a little bit of pulse with my, my dad and t- lifted him up and took him around the corner to the hospital. Thank God the hospital was close. And they managed to uh, look after him. The journalist went home, had breakfast with his, with his family. And his daughter um, was really interested. Tell me about this shooting and tell me about this and tell me about that. And the daughter who was eight turned out to be my mom and the kid in the hospital turned out to be my dad.
0: I mean, and the book is full of stories like that. It's just dense with stories that would be a whole book. And um, what's your, I mean, your memory must be phenomenal. Or were you talking to the rest of your family? Did, was this, Is this kind of a joint effort where people kind of piece together the past?
6: Yeah, well, a lot of it was kind of going back and reliving the past and reliving parts of it that you, you kind of go, first of all, you thought you left behind, and other parts that you went, oh my God, I completely forgot about that. I mean, for instance, Graham, I'm sure you get this as well. A lot of the times, particularly in America, when I'm touring in America, the, the audience would ask, you know, or the, or the press would ask, when did you realize you were funny? And that's the most ridiculous question, of course, to try and answer. Because you don't realize you're funny. If you're a stand-up comedian or, a, comp, you know, if you do what you and I do, you doubt yourself every day that you're funny. So um, Ooh, yeah, I, I used to make... I'd make up answers. You know, I'd, I'd say, well, maybe when I was in school or maybe here. Maybe, and it was when I was writing the book, I remembered just about two weeks after my dad died. I was only 10. And I remembered coming down at night to the bathroom, which was downstairs, middle of the night, and going back up. And on the way back up, I could see the light just peeking under my mother's door, which didn't surprise me because she was a voracious reader. So I presume she was reading in bed. But she was sobbing. And I remember sitting on the this step, this step at the top of the stairs and I'm 10 years of age. And I remember thinking, you know, my job now is to make her laugh every day. And that's when I decided to be funny.
0: I mean, and, you, and boy, did you, uh, <laughs> did you make that promise come true? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and like, there's so much in the book uh, b- before you ever get to show business. There's, you know, yeah. really rich childhood stories and there's you working in restaurants and in catering. Uh, talk to me about uh, The Late Late Show. I mean, in, in America, people go on The Tonight Show and a, a comic will make it. But it, it, tell us about the, your first time on The Late Late Show, which is the big chat show in Ireland.
6: Well, the, the, uh, as, you, as you know, the Late Late Show can change your life. You know, uh, either way, if you're on the way up and <laughs> you, you get a shot at the Late Late Show uh, and it works, it can be tremendous. But if you're on the way up and you get a shot of the Late Late Show and it doesn't go well, uh, bye-bye. So I, I was very nervous before going on to it um, for, you know, three or four weeks before, before going on to the show. If anybody mentioned, of oh, course, you're on the Late Late Show in four weeks, I'd throw up. I'd went to the bathroom and just throw up with nerves. But on the night, I watched the show as it was progressing. And no disrespect to Gabe Orne, it wasn't a really good show. It was, it was quite a bland show. And I thought, you know, I could really shine here. But I didn't know how far he'd let me go, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So he had this thing that he does. He When he says, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Brendan O'Carroll. Uh, the the guest walks out and he stands up, shakes your hand and kind of half pulls you towards the chair. Uh, so he gets you sitting down as quickly as possible. So when he pulled my hand, I just held on. And, and he, he looked at me as strange, like, what are you doing? And I just said, without anybody else hearing, I said, "Gay, how's your Willie?" And he just laughed. He just went, hello! And I realised, you know, I'm in, I'm in here. It was supposed to be a nine minute interview. And it went on for 35 minutes. And it really was a case of as I was doing my exams and as I was doing it, I knew I was passing. I just knew I was. And the next day, the next day, everybody knew my name. Everybody in Ireland knew my name. And it was really weird because um, I wasn't used to that kind of thing. So as I'm walking through the streets, people would see me and go, hey, Brendan. And I think, oh, my God, that's a cousin or something. How are you doing? (laughs) How's your mother? How's your dad? And they were just saying hello. It was, uh, listen, we'll, okay. talk, we'll, we'll talk
0: some more because because that that sounds like that should be kind of you know oh and then and happily ever after because there's so many twists and turns. Uh, let's take a break for some music. You've chosen a track. What have you chosen? And is there a particular reason?
6: Yeah, when when I was writing the movie of uh, Mrs Brown from from Mrs Brown, Mrs Brown the movie. And um, I, I was looking for something that would be a track that would open, that would be a, that Mrs. Brown and, the, and the, the, the traders of Mercery could dance to uh, in the opening sequence. So I knew Danny and Mark and Glenn from the script. So I gave them a pause and said, because you know, you know, Mrs. Brown, is there any chance you could come up with something that would suit, you know? And they said, as it turned out, Mark's grandmother and uh, great-grandmother had both been traders in Mercery. So he was well aware of where it was going. And he said, "You know what? Give us it. We're on tour in America, but give us a chance, and we'll come back to you." And they rolled it on the bus, on the on the tour bus, and they sent the track back to me. And I said, "It's perfect."
0: Brendan, when you're living your life, I guess you just you're getting on with it. When you stopped and looked back, were you surprised at the number of times in your life when really the story should have ended, when you know everything had crashed and burned, and it looked like there was no way out for you?
6: Absolutely. You know, it, it's only when I look back. And I know you've done a memoir, so you you would probably were in the same boat. But there was times when you look back and you're recalling a particular part of the story and you're going, you know what? I can't remember what it was that kept me going. I can't remember what it was that got me up off my bum and got me to, you know, keep going, just keep going, don't stop, don't stop. Um, and I suppose it's just life, it's momentum, you know? Um, but there were times when I thought, yeah, because <laughs> I'm a I'm, a, I'm an Irish kid from, a, from, a, from a, a quite a poor neighborhood. But I still believe that everybody got a shot. Everybody in life gets a shot. And there were times when I thought, this is my shot. And when it would go, you know, belly up, I would I would go, well, that's that's me done. Uh, I'm, that's me done forever. I may go yeah. and get a job in a hotel and, and, and work there for the rest of my life.
0: But and it, but you did keep d- dusting yourself off. So then we get to the, the huge success of, of Mrs. Brown. Were you surprised at how successful Mrs. Brown was, like, internationally? Because it's so Irish. It's so specific. Uh, were you surprised by that? Or did you always know, <laughs> no, this is a universal character?
6: You know what? I'd, I'd love to be able to say, no, 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 Graham, I had a plan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a plan, trust me i put on a bra and a, tr- a pair of knickers and just see where it, go- where it would go. And um, I had no plan. It really, really caught me by surprise, particularly internationally. But the one thing that I'm glad I stuck with was, um, you know, as we started to go over to the UK and gig in the UK, which is the first port of call after Ireland, of course, as it always is, um, many people said to me, maybe anglicize it a bit, you know, maybe make her from Manchester or... And I went, no, no, I, I trust the audience. It's 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 set in famous in Dublin, in Ireland, and I believe the audience can make that leap. I had no idea it would be Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Zambia, Jamaica, America, Canada. No idea whatsoever. And now, what's the,
0: so you're working with Tyler Perry? Is this right?
6: Yeah, we had we did it. We did a movie together. We we he called me about about six or seven years ago, and. Um, really weird, he called me to t- to tell me that we had our birthday on the same day, uh, which we don't um, <laughs> and to tell me that uh, we were both raised by our mom and that we both had similar lives and we should get together and make a movie, so we, we planned something for a long, long time and um, again, it would be time with me, time with him, and I would go, look, I've got a tour coming up, or, I'm in Australia, I won't be able to do it, and Etc. So we we kept missing the, the opportunity, and then during the pandemic, his studio in Atlanta was the only studio that was really open. And he called me and said, "Look, Netflix have asked me to do something for Netflix, and let's put in a little dash of Mrs. Brown with Medea, and just let's see how they how they gel. So we did that, and it it, it went to number one or in four countries. It, it had their Within two weeks, it had over a billion hours of viewing, and um, we're now looking at the possibility of um, Medea and Agnes on Safari.
0: And <laughs> what was it like for you working opposite, you know, another person doing, you know, that shtick? If you know what I mean, was, was it yeah. was it weird that you weren't you weren't the one?
6: Well, I, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit weird. But I had a few things going in my in my favour. Mrs Brown was much more attractive than my day. That's always a big, big step, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you know, I did worry, Graham, because I, I am I am a bit of a control freak. I, I am a bit of you know, let's not let things get out of hand. But so is he. So I did worry that you know maybe we could have a, a clash of egos here. But I I couldn't have been more wrong. When we um, when we started putting the script together, he said, "Look, I'm not going to write anything for Mrs Brown. You write Mrs Brown in, and uh, you you because you know Mrs Brown." And we did it on a collaborative basis. And we went up, believe it or not, Brian, because he, he's a sensational worker. Uh, I mean, he is tremendous worker, talking about twelve hours a day, fourteen hours a day. But we shot that in nine days, the whole movie.
0: Wow, wow!
6: And I've never I've never done anything like it in my life. But also, I remember flying back to Florida after the movie. I ever, I also never felt as exhausted or numb in my life. And um, it's just work, 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 and we we really put it in and got it done. At one stage, people who who, um, who were listening in wouldn't know, but on a on a good day, when somebody's making a movie, they'd hope to shoot maybe five to six pages. That would be a good day in a movie. And um, one day we shot thirty-five pages, and as we're coming. <laughs> the driver was driving me back to our apartment. And um, it was Jenny who said to him, you know, we shot 35 pages today. And he said, oh, we usually shoot 100. Well, if he's going to shoot 100 pages a day, uh, he's not going to get me. <laughs>
0: That's nuts. Listen, uh, talking of pages, there are many in your book. Uh, people may know Mrs. Brown. They don't know Brendan O'Carroll. I really hope this is a, uh, this memoir is a huge success because it really deserves to be. It's called okay. Call Me Mrs. Brown. It's out now in Harback, published by Penguin Michael Joseph. Uh, Brendan O'Carroll, get back to your Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a real Thank pleasure you, to bro- talk to you.
6: Well, Brendan, you know I love you. Uh, please tell your granny thanks for the chicken.
0: <laughs> of course, I liked Jenny as well. Alright, lots of love. Take care of yourself, sir. Bye, bye, bye. Guest. The, uh. The, um... Guest. Guest. Oh yeah, this is the game where we play a clip of someone who's been a guest on my show over the last couple of decades, and uh, if you successfully uh, get on the radio and identify that voice, you will win the Graham Norton Waitrose gift box containing the branded reusable hot drinks cup, never far from my hand, uh, but also champagne, uh, the caramel truffles, ginger florentines, uh, chocolate dipped shortbread, there's raspberry jam, balsamic vinegar, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous prize. So, the uh, voice you'll be trying to identify is this one, here we go. Yeah, I'm
7: from you. York and that's what we did back then and we were disciples of Grandmaster Flash and Theodore and all these guys we would go and watch DJs and all my friends got together and we pooled our money and we got DJ equipment
0: well, I think we will be giving away Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box today. I'm not gonna play that again. I think that was pretty easy. If you know who that was and think uh, you'd like to get on the radio and win the Waitrose gift box, then you need to dial this number. Zero Triple Three Double Zero Triple Three Double Zero. That's zero triple three double zero triple three uh double zero. Okay, it's as simple as that. Uh, right, we'll play a couple of songs and then we'll get some people on the radio and see if we're giving away that prize. I predict we will. Will be.
7: I'm from New York, and that's what we did back then. And we were disciples of Grandmaster Flash and Theodore and all these guys. We would go and watch DJs, and all my friends got together, and we pooled our money, and we got DJ equipment.
0: Okay, that's the voice we're trying to identify. And if somebody gets on the radio and correctly identifies that voice, they will win the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box. Uh, these beautiful reusable hot drinks cup, there's champagne, truffles, Florentines, chocolate dipped shortbread, there's lovely raspberry jam, balsamic vinegar. It is a prize worth having. Uh, let's hit the phones. Uh, first up, we have uh, Stephanie, I think. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Hello. Uh, where are you, Stephanie?
7: I'm in a village called Cairn Hill in Fife, in Scotland.
0: <gasps> Lovely. And uh, what's the weather doing today in Fife?
7: It is a beautiful, glorious day, very, very mild. Um, quite uncharacteristic wow. here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you sound very surprised.
7: Well, the... yes, I have it is Scotland after all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, have you got plans for this sunny Sunday?
7: Um, I'm not sure. I think my husband might be doing a bit of DIY, so I might just oversee that.
0: <laughs> yeah, just make sure he doesn't he doesn't make any mistakes. Yeah, yeah He's the, the wrong one colour up and
7: down the ladders and things. So,
0: so that's fine. <laughs> uh, all right, Stephanie, let's find out if you are winning that uh, Waitrose gift box. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to?
7: I think that's Chris Rock.
0: Do you, Stephanie? All right, uh, let's you- see if you're right or if you're wrong. Here we go. You're correct. Well done, Stephanie in Fife. Yes, that waitress gift box will be winging its way to you. Uh, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to apart from your hardworking husband?
7: Well, I'd like to say hi to my hardworking husband, Peter, and thanks for everything he's been doing around the house. I really appreciate it. My son, Josh, my daughter, Penny, and my other daughter, Trudy, and just everybody else that knows me.
0: Oh, very good. Well, look, enjoy the rest of your sunny Sunday in Fife. Take pictures. Thank you. <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> well, might, you might need them to remember it. <laughs> all right. Thank, thank you very much for playing, Stephanie. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And, hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Speak soon.